It's been a while. It's been a good while. A good while. But we have a very special episode today. Yes. Today, in collaboration with 3.09 and London Design Festival, we're hosting a live podcast with a very special guest that we'll introduce you in a little bit. We're going to start off on our typical question. How was your week? Good. <laughs> uh, no. Um, so to catch everyone up, what I've been doing. Um, so I'm freelance, just been freelancing all around and have the week off because I'm about to start a new job, but I don't trust people's even intentions. So I'm not going to say what my job is, <laughs> but just know that things are going well. Um, and this week I've got the week off and I'm supposed to be working on a book project that I'm doing and it's going a interestingly. A book project, please, a bit more context. I'm writing a book. That's uh, it. Okay. And why are you working on it right now? I don't know. Oh, um, no, sorry. I'm going to New Mexico soon. For what? For the... Oh, my gosh. It's literally like having my... All right, guys. Here's the secret. Since <laughs> <laughs> I like have my mum with me. Um, <laughs> basically, a place called Jack Jones Literary Arts, they um, have... Well, this year is the second one, and they have 17 fellowships available to women of colour who are working on a book project. I'm working on a work of fiction, and I received the... Roxanne Gay Fellowship for Women of Colour Writing Fiction. So I've got two weeks in New Mexico next month um, where I'm going to hopefully be able to work on my book without the pressures of work, which also means I won't be getting paid for two weeks. But um, it's a very good opportunity, very exciting. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. And I was supposed to be doing that today, but all I did was mess around with Natalie. So you didn't mess around. <laughs> you didn't mess around. We ate food and then I just sat on my phone. But yeah, that's what I've been up to so far. What about you? Okay, so with me, I've been freelancing. I think I was freelancing since our last episode as well. Um, and yeah, I've just gone back into agency side. I work on social media, guys, so I'm not an influencer. I don't sell flat on tea. But um, I work on the advertising side. And yeah, just getting used to new platforms and events and using yeah new things and managing people. That's actually really interesting. I've actually started managing people. Um, which I'm like passionate about, mm -hmm. so I'm happy. Well, I hope they're happy. So bigger and better things. Yeah, we took them to the shoe, so I'm, ho I'm hoping they're happy. <laughs> shout out to that. Shout out to the food. Anyway, shout out to the budget. Um, yeah, and so that's how my week has been, or how my life has been since. In a typical well black, well black tea fashion, we have a black fact for you. Yes. A black fact. It's about our special guest. Yes, it's about our special <laughs> guest. So, um, did you know that Green Park Tube Station entrance? was designed by a black woman. By a black woman, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so every time you go to, you go past or close or near to like the queen who you think is majestic, the real majesty yeah. is the entrance. <laughs> That's what you're really there for. <laughs> Buckingham Palace, take it or leave it, to be honest. You yes, know, yes. seen it once, seen it a thousand times. But Green Park, in the day, in the night, in the rush hour, <laughs> with the lights, when it's raining, when it's windy, it's a sight to see, it's a sight to marvel and actually, when I was working retail, that's the, my preferred tube station. Yes. I worked at Piccadilly Circus, but I would walk all the way down to Green Park. So our guest for the live podcast is Elsie Owusu. And we'll just read a short bio about Elsie, just to give you more context. Yes. So Elsie Owusu, OBE, mm -hmm. is a black woman architect who was the runner-up for the RIBA presidency in 2018. She's principal of Elsie Owusu Architects owning your own agency you own see people agency. okay goals own goals. firm and was co-lead architect for the uk supreme court and london's green park station for f plus m or fnm elsie has an extensive portfolio of national and international projects from transport and infrastructure master planning to specialist cons conservation one-off eco houses and elsie is also 
a founding member and the first chair of the Society of Black Architects and is currently serving on the boards of, that was boards guys, so plural, of the Architectural <laughs> Association, the UK Supreme Court Arts Trust and the Royal Institute of British Architects National Council where she chairs RIBA Architects for Change Advisory Group. And she was also the founding vice chair of the London School of Architecture and is a member of the Mayor of London's Design Advocate Panel. Imagine if you had a CV like that. Oh my god! <laughs> accolades, full accolades, bro. Full if accolades. If my CV was like that, oh my god! Like my CV is scroll, just like boom, twenty pages. As soon as you come, like before you even step into the door, your CV is like already there. Yeah. Like, we're just here to chat, guys, because yeah, really, you yeah. know. I actually designed this building. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it's yes. great to have you, Elsie. Say hi to me. Hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah. So um. We're just going to start straight off, I guess. The theme of 3.09's conference has been gender equity in cities. And we wanted to ask about gender equity, explaining it to somebody who doesn't know what it considers in terms of planning. Um, Well, gosh, that's a very, very, very big question. (laughs) So um, let's let's take, should we take transport? Um, So if you think about um, transport buses, um, so I designed, um, helped to design a bus transit system for Accra and Lagos and what I discovered, which was very interesting, is that women use buses very differently. Um, So um, the, the, the male passengers tended to go from A to B, from one destination to the, to on one place whereas women do a sort of zigzag route. So they will go fetch the children, they'll go visit relatives, they'll go do the shopping. They'll go. So their day is kind of broken up with a series of tasks, whereas most men who use buses, those, and, and you know, in, in those situations, um, it's, um, it, it's an expensive mode of transport, um, tend to go from one place to the other. So, so women kind of use the city in a, in almost a sort of subterranean way, which isn't recognised. So their lives are, are sometimes made even more difficult mm. rather than less difficult by transport. Mm. And so in Ghana, for instance, um, the bus driver, the bus conductors wouldn't let women on if they were carrying um, vegetables or um, they were carrying their, their shopping, which happens in Ghana to be quite heavy and you're carrying all sorts of different foodstuffs. And so they would say, no, you can't get on, which meant that the women then had to get taxis, which was, were very expensive, or certainly more expensive than buses. So the way women use the city is kind of controlled by um, how people perceive them, perceive them quite often by the way they dress, the way they look, um, what, their, what their errands are that they're doing. So... Um, I think somebody said um, in The Guardian, what would cities be like if they were designed by women? And I think, I don't have an answer to that, but I know that they would be perhaps more congenial, congenial places. And you think about just the sim- simple aspect of safety, yeah. you know, um, being um, the city being a woman's domain would be different um, because um, just from the point of view of being able to get home, being feeling that you can be out in the street, because um, you know you know the term streetwalker, um, when it's applied to a woman, is not has certain connotations. So there's all sorts of things about women um, belonging indoors and not outdoors. So the city tends to be designed 
um, to encourage, to force women indoors, to force women to behave in certain, certain ways. Um, and it's only really when you start thinking about, when you start having to design something, um, that these things occur to you, because most of the time, you're just somebody who's using the city and you negotiate all these things and they're just part of your life. And then when you start designing something, you think, well, why does it work like that? You know, and why isn't it easy? Why have I got used to being constrained by my environment in this way? Um, so that's a very long-winded way of saying I don't know. <laughs> it, it even brings to mind for me in terms of like a local experience it's like if a woman with um, children with small children is traveling about how a bus can't, can't accommodate a pram or how it's yeah. unusual mm. to see a bus drive by and yeah. so on and the considerations for okay if a woman has small children how she can be able to transport her child yeah. from A to B or even when it comes to stations you yeah. know um, a lot of stations don't have step free um, access well yeah. which Green Park station does actually and that's yeah. considerations <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just I get that plug in, guys. Yeah, honestly, change your world, change your life, yeah. make everything easier and better for everybody. Um, yeah, so I, I guess we want to ask you more about you as well mm. in terms of your journey into being a such a, a, an accomplished architect, especially being a black woman. Like, yeah. it's like so many, so much intersectionality for you, where it's like race and gender, whereas. You, the competition I motherhood guess. motherhood as well how, how how did you get into architecture how did it even appear as like an option for you because i was like i was saying with um one of the founders of 3.09 i just hadn't even fathomed a black woman designing you know buildings entrances for transport and so on and so forth infrastructure yeah um well it's like it's it's quite an amusing story really because i think and um, thinking back i thought I decided to become an architect when I was about nine, I think. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the story was that, you know, around about independence in Ghana, um, just after independence, and, and I was trying to think, it must have been earlier actually, so I was trying to think what I was going to do. And, and I was very keen, because my parents are Methodists and very keen on changing the world, and I was thinking, well, well you know, what can I do to change the world? And I thought, I know, I'll become president of Ghana. That's a good way to change the world. <laughs> it was around independence, everyone was yeah. talking about politics. <laughs> and then um, quite soon after that, I seem to remember there was a coup. The, start, the coup started happening in Ghana and I realised that there were certain dangers involved in being a president. So I came with like plan B, <laughs> be an architect. <laughs> so that's kind of where I stopped. Um, but um, and then you know you go through all sorts of things like you know becoming a journalist, becoming uh, you know <laughs> being inspired by. It's never too late to start. Um, and then um, I think um, so. I was good at art, you know. Um, and after I had my daughter, um, I thought, well, but my mother said, right, you have to go back and do your A levels now. Um, so I did my A-levels and then um, I started doing architecture and then I bumped into all these people who were at, um, doing, studying art and architecture um, and um, when my daughter was about two, 
Um, yeah, so I, went, I, I did my A-levels, and when my daughter was about two, I started at the Architectural Association, which is an interesting project, having, having a, a toddler. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know. So all of this stuff you were doing architect, with yeah. a child. Yeah. yeah. What, did you feel as though, um, because just speaking from the industry that I work in, like in journalism, there are definitely some things, things change, I guess, when motherhood is involved, and there are some things that, um, I guess, discrepancies and with people that have children people that don't did you feel a certain pressure added pressure having a child or did you feel that you were how does one even become a great like I mean it's possible but did you feel like you were supported I guess with um no (laughs) except my lovely daughter of course but um but the thing is I suppose the thing to remember is that when you're that sort of age when you're in your early 20s you just have so much more energy, so you know, because <laughs> you know it hasn't even didn't even occur to us because we're all parents of you know very young young parents. I now realise very young parents, but you know I, we all thought we were very grown up in those days. Um, so we we were you know it was around in the seventies, around about the hippie period, and we couldn't afford childcare, so we just made we really just looked after each other's children. Mm-hmm. So there was a crash at my. Um, my my school of architecture so I would take my friend Jo's baby to the creche and she would have my daughter mm. and so I would bring Faye in on the train uh, on the tube to Tottenham Court Road mm. <laughs> and uh, from Brixton and and then take her home again and pick Kess up and then become a mother for a bit and then yeah. do my my work you know you just managed you yeah, know because because and then you worked all night you know because it's kind of what everybody else was doing but when everybody was going off to the pub you know I was kind of like I've got to go home and pick the kids up <laughs> you know it just got a different kind of yeah <laughs> um, but, but, but it just worked you know you just make it work so we actually wanted to ask about your relationship with other women architects and and how you found that experience whether it's more so supportive or did you find that because it could be sort of you're the only woman in the room that there was more of a competitive uh, element to it or how did you find that support system it's both really i mean and the thing that i've discovered because being a feminist you know your ideal is that everyone's going to be supportive and Mm -hmm. wonderful and it's all (laughs) going to be it's all going to be lovely you know and sometimes it really is sometimes it really works like that but other times it just doesn't Mm -hmm. you know and 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 really disappointing when it works well it's just fantastic and and the really disappointing thing is that when when you come across women who really 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 don't like you and you think why doesn't she like me I'm really nice and and then you realize that it's the sort of ladder pulling up syndrome you, you know and the queen bee the Queen Bee syndrome as well, and and that's just that, that's just really disappointing. But just recently, I found a bunch of women that I call the Mem Sabs, you know, and they're sort of um, usually white, but not always, but and quite grand, you know, and they've made it, and they sort of every so often, every so often, they look at you as if to say, Elsie, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be in the kitchen cooking something? And you, know, and you just have to laugh at it because it's just you know otherwise you get you sort of get upset but um i think it's just now now it's not so much an analysis as a narrative you know and because i was i had this quite strong ideological and quite a strong feminist ideological stance and that has just worn off as I've discovered that sometimes the most unexpected people can be so supportive mm. 
and the people that you really, really would love to support you just don't. Yeah. You know, but you just, I guess, it happens to everybody, doesn't it? Somehow. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely found that sometimes the person who who may seem the most similar to me, whether it's in terms of thinking or even in terms of like gender expression and race, can sometimes be more so to the. I, I want to call it the old school way of thinking, but I think it's more so just the case of this is the way that I, things were for me so why should they be different from, for you when it's to me about yeah. progression and making opportunities yeah. more available to yeah. people yeah. who are disadvantaged or look like me or don't look like me but I don't think I don't think you you can dwell on those yeah. on those because those situations and and I think my focus now is really to make sure that there are stepping stones mm. yeah. for the, the the people of the next generation, the generation after that, and they don't have to relearn all the things that we learned because a lot of the time institutions don't have memories, you know, and as people leave, their experiences leave with them and, you know, you have to make sure that you register that experience and I don't know how you do it, but somehow you just mark that, that spot that you visited so that people don't have to um, relearn those lessons. It's really hard to do. I, do, I, don't, I don't quite know how you do it yet. I, mean, I, think, I think you're definitely making um, strides in there because societies like the Society of uh, Black Architects is a place, or I would consider it to be sort of a community where you can mark things in time and, and see how... Um, industry standards or institutions, behavioural patterns could probably be and find a support system in terms of how to circumvent those and build new solutions. Right? Well, you'd have, thought, you'd have thought so, but you know, when we started Society of Black Architects, I mean, I, and, and you know, I, to me, it's important to remember that Stephen Lawrence would have been 44 this year, so he would have been mid-career mm -hmm. as an architect. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the numbers, the statistics, from 25 years ago when he was tragically murdered to today we've actually gone backwards mm. so the numbers um, we've dropped have dropped by 55 percent mm. from 25 years ago to now you know mm. so if he had become an architect and mid-career he would have been earning about 38,000 pounds compared to a lawyer I mean you know having studied for 10 years or so mm. or seven to ten years um, and com compared to a lawyer or a doctor um, of similar status mm. you know so and and for every 10 young BAME people who enter ar architecture only one becomes a fully-fledged architect so that's a dropout rate or uh, it's not a dropout rate it's an attrition rate of 90 percent mm. No, so uh, I mean, you know, th those figures are to me are really shocking yeah. because, um, particularly when you think about how much it costs to study architecture. So it's nine nine thousand two hundred and fifty pounds before you start uh, earning a living, or before you start um, paying your rent. You know, so to me, it's not surprising that people drop out. Yeah. Um, but then, coming at you, if you do come out, the one one percent that come out. Um, come out with 10% sorry, come out with something the equivalent of a mortgage you know 100, 100 grand before you start earning your body. so you know p these people are these young people are really 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 dedicated yeah. you know and they're they're making sacrifices their parents are making sacrifices um, the families are making sacrifices and then their talent the talent that they've built up over so many years is actually not being used for the benefit for the benefit, to, to reap the benefit that could be reaped, you know. So it's a loss all round. 
And so that's why I think it's really, really important um, to remember that we were so optimistic 25 years ago when we started the Society of Black Architects. And we thought, because Reba said, you know, and the profession said, we got the message. Okay, we got the message. Um, you know, we'll sort leave it to us. So they started Architects for Change, which consisted of women in architecture, um, Society of Black Architects, and a few other um, campaigning groups. Leave it to us, you know, we'll give you money, we'll f form Architects for Change. And actually, in the kind of Orwellian sense, it was a kind of Architects for No Change. Because actually what happened was that that, that group um, became an, um, a, a means of absorbing the energy for change, to push towards change. And we all sort of said, oh, well, they're getting on with it. But who knew? Um, so, you know, it's that thing about the, the price of, is, of freedom is constant vigilance. You know, you can't just think, well, you know, we've done it now. Let's, let's go off. Um, because um, the next generation will find that they've got to do it all over again. So, so that, it's that, that legacy and making sure you hand on the leadership um, to younger people yeah. um, and share it and share and share your your skills and your knowledge as well. Sorry to sound so depressing. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> it's, it's real, it's honest. Reality, yeah. Because I mean, I was even thinking, and I guess it goes back to what Natty was saying about like not having <clears throat> met. I haven't met very many black architects at all. Mm. Um, like, well, there's David Edge that everybody. Like, well, I was, was going to say black yeah. women. Oh, black <laughs> women. Okay. Okay. Specifically okay. black women. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and I wanted to start, just taking it back a little bit. Um, you obviously decided that you're going to be architects at nine years old, yeah. <laughs> which I think is phenomenal. Um, but for me, I guess going into my career, it was it was always a little bit like it was hard for me to imagine. It's hard for me to be something that I couldn't see, right? Because you know I wanted to go and want to be a writer, happy to be a journalist. Didn't think I'd ever be an editor because I've never seen anyone be a black editor. Mm. And then when I saw a black editor, I was like, oh, that's something I, I can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you were growing up and you decided you wanted to be an architect, was there anybody that you looked up to who? didn't even not necessarily even had to look back you but looked up to and made you think oh I can do that because that person's done it and similarly do you feel like you've had an experience where you can see you've like inspired another young person to go into architecture well uh, the thing about growing up in Ghana was that it never occurred to you that you couldn't do whatever you wanted to do I mean it's only when I got to the UK that I suddenly thought well why are those people behaving like that mm. and then it began to occur to me that that there were some people in the world who didn't think that you could do. I, I yes. mean, I was, you know, I was actually more conscious of my younger brothers being allowed to do, you know, the double standard between men and women than yeah. I was of. It, it, it had never occurred to me till I was till I came here at the age of nine that black people couldn't do stuff that white people did. I mean, you know, it's just such an absurd. It's, it, it's, it's just such an absurd notion. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, it, and, and, you know, when you're young, absurd notions are very clearly absurd notions because you haven't got the so-called sophistication to know what the rest of the world is like, yeah. you know. And I remember seeing a, a film with Muhammad Ali when he was going to um, the rumble in the jungle and he went to the, to the front of the plane and he went, Jesus, it's a black man flying a plane, you know. And you kind of think, so? Yeah. What's that got to do with it? You, you know, so, so you kind of had to learn 
that there was such a thing as racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that took quite a long time to look. I was more conscious of class mm-hmm. than, you know, and, and gender mm-hmm. than I was of race, because yeah. race just seems such an absurd, yeah. absurd mm-hmm. thing. Well, it's just still abs- absurd, Absolutely. but you've kind of absorbed it, so you, you know, you tend to question it less. Um, but, um, and, and I think that part of it was that I always referred to my father as the person in the family that I was closest to. Because mm. um, my mother was always kind of like, come into the kitchen, you need to be learning how to cook. And I, Why do I need to be learning? I'd rather read this book. <laughs> so, um, so it was the thing about being a tomboy. I mean, I don't know whether you were described. Do you remember that term, being yeah, a tomboy? Yeah, yeah I was tomboy when I was <laughs> People don't use that term Tell anymore. Sure, but yeah, it's really yeah. interesting, I think, you know. And Tell me such a tomboy, they used to say, disapprovingly. Um, so, um, yes, I don't, well, anyway, yes, thinking about that. <laughs> I guess it's, um, yeah. I wanted to ask about the feeling. So, once you've past your training and you're a fully fledged architect um, and you get into industry and now you're able to uh, acquire your own projects and so on. I guess this is a simple question from like a non-architect to an architect. How does it feel to walk past the place that you've built and know that your impact, your considerations for design are like actually real and factual and, and and part of somebody's everyday, like they are yeah. people who literally, yeah, yeah, everything, yeah, millions, yeah, just not even, it's just the most. <laughs> that is one of the things that really keeps you going. It yeah. is the most phenomenal feeling. Yeah. yeah. Then the first time I had that experience was when I finished some houses in Tottenham, and I just went back to have a look because after you've finished, you know, everybody wants you off site, and they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of went, oh, there's somebody living in my drawing. That's very strange. And then you hear this sound, cry, sound of a baby crying out of your drawing, you know, because it looks like it looks yeah. like the thing, you know. Um, and and so that that's really interesting. The other thing is that you can see views when you're standing inside the the building. Instead of looking at it, you suddenly realise that you can see. You get this panorama, and which is something that you could never design. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. And the other thing is, which is really interesting, when I was doing the Supreme Court, I would go there every day and people would go, hi, I'll see you now. So it was my building, it was my place, you know, and you know, people show you a lot of respect when you're, when you're in that position, which is very nice. Um, and then when you finish, and then one day I finished it and I turned up at the building and this man said, yes, can I help you? And I said, what you, I thought, what do you mean, can you help me? This is my building, get out of my way. <laughs> But it had become closed to me and all the windows were shut because, you know, because we'd done all the security. So suddenly somewhere which is your domain, you find yourself on the outside of it, you know. And that ain't right. <laughs> it's a very, very strange feeling. And, wow. and, and the security is all done by Gurkhas. So there were these Gurkhas that I'd got to know quite well who were wearing the logo that I'd helped, the emblem that I'd helped design, you know. And I'm thinking, I designed that. I designed this is my building. Yeah. And they're going, security's that way, madam. Oh, my God. And it's it's just a very... Like, I know, because yeah. I designed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's a very, very strange feeling. Um, but it's something to do with having to let go. You have, just have to mm, let it go because yes. it suddenly takes on a life of its own. Mm. And it's almost like a sort of bereavement process, mm. you know. And then you learn 
you know, you become somebody who goes there. But you're always, and as an architect, and I think this is one of the curses of being an architect, is you know what snagging is? Snagging is when you do an inspection and you pick up all the tiny little things that have gone wrong. That, so you just spend your life snagging buildings, sitting there going, hello, what's that seal on that window doing? That's not right. You know? and, and doing things like, now I, I have to stop myself doing this, walking into a room and seeing that a picture is about three millimetres out of true. And so you'll be sitting there and thinking, I can't so if it's behind somebody's head, I, I used to now be in a meeting and I'd do, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to do this. And so you, you get up and you get, go to the wall and straighten the picture and so that you can sit down so that it doesn't irritate you all the way through the meeting. And the, uh, so I have clients who go, yeah, that'll be the OCD kicking in then, Elsie, will it? <laughs> <laughs> but it just, I mean, it's such a wonderful career because it becomes all-encompassing, you know, and you can walk around London and just age buildings, you know, you can say, well, that's an Edwardian building and that's a Victorian building and you know some of the art. So it just makes life thoroughly wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's just brilliant. I actually have, I'm sorry, sorry, I have two actual quick questions I want to ask. First, um, on the similar topic before we move on, what is your favourite project that you've worked on and also what country or area do you think that the architecture is most beautiful or you most like enthralled by the buildings that are there? Those are my two questions for you. Uh, so my favourite building is probably Green Park because mm -hmm. that's the most unexpected project. I mean I never ever thought I would work on a, a project like that. How did that come about? Were they just like oh well, I became a, a, I became I was headhunted by this um, venerable old practice, and this man called Paul Rinsard suddenly just knocked on my door one day. He was a friend of a friend of my brother's, um, and we started working together. And eventually, he said he said somebody came around and he said, "Well, how come?" You, we're doing this project, we, we've got we're together, we've got 80 people, you've got sort of like five, and you're getting 70% of the fee. And I said, because it's my project. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, why don't you come and work with us and then we'll get the fee and then we'll pay you. And I thought, salary, that sounds good. <laughs> you know, and you just don't know how nice it is to get a salary until you have one, because all you need to do is to tumble out of bed and somebody gives you money. And, and you know, and, and you know, and then you're freelance. <laughs> yeah. You have to work for every penny, every single penny, every and moment. it's so hard. I mean, yeah. it's you get your freedom, but it really is hard. Absolutely. You know, when you're staring at the end of the month, and you really have to, you know, yeah. gather your wits. But when you get a salary, and it's a good salary, which it was, I'm, I'm, I went to the bank one day and I thought, oh, some, one, one of my clients has put in some money by mistake. What am I going to do about this? Am I going to confess or am I, gonna, am I just going to spend it? And then I thought, bloody hell, this is a salary. And they just put it in your account every month without you even sending an invoice out. <laughs> oh, yeah. The invoice so chase. Yeah. <laughs> It was just brilliant, but I did that for, for nine, ten years, and then, uh, you know, I sort of missed my, missed being, um, my freedom and being able to do stuff in Ghana, which they didn't want to do because there was, there's enough work in this country. Mm. There's enough work in this country, Elsie, without me having to fly you three and a half thousand miles mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, all that stuff. 
Um, and so the, my favourite country, the, fa the favourite country is Albania, actually. Fascinating. You have to go to Albania. It is so wonderful. Well, for an architect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if I tell you that their favourite comedian was Norman Wisdom, you probably think what that's yeah. bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is the most wonderful country because um, it was um, un it was hermetically sealed for a long, long time under the communist regime. So, and and if I tell you that there were about, I think less than a hundred cars in Albania, and they all belong to people in the Communist Party. So it's kind of like you know all the little lanes and. There's a lot of walking, and I mean, it's a, it's a, so now in retrospect, it's a city designed around uh, Tirana. It's a city designed around people. Mm -hmm. There are areas of Tirana which are just for people. The pavements are really tight, and then there are these vast avenues, you know, where, which was kind of like where the the motorcades used to go. Um, and then, and, and I just love Albanian people because they're so operatic, you know, everything's a huge drama, huge performance. You know? So that was, that's of all the countries I've been to, apart from my mother country, of course, which I absolutely love and adore. <laughs> so, play the national anthem, folks. Um, yeah. Okay. One thing, I don't know if Alicia, Alicia knows this, but I kind of view architects as being people who are able to revolutionize somebody's way of living and working because it's literally like you can design how somebody can can operate like mm. hopefully to their betterment and Alicia mm. has a particular passion for like natural materials. <laughs> she's, she's like why is everything glass why is everything better like, what is this um but I wanted to ask about in terms of your um design considerations and when it goes into I mean I'm, I'm not sure what the process is exactly for architecture but how do you go about to consider the use of the building or how do you do you do you approach it from a, a point of a client has hired you and this is the use that you need to perform or how do you build in your own consideration so you know when it comes to things like gender equity or women moving about places differently or is it a place that transport needs to be the the core focus is, is um that where, that well i is? always start with an individual mm. i always try and start with an individual even if you're doing a really really big project mm -hmm. Um, if you're doing um, a house like the one I'm doing for Yinka Shonibari, mm -hmm. that is, you know, he's there and it's his house and it's his money and he's a brilliant client. So you have that empathy and that expression of his own feeling. But if you're designing a city, I think that's, I now think about cities around children, mm -hmm. you know, how, not, not so much in terms of how uh, men and women move around the space, but how small people are affected mm -hmm. by cities. And if you're, you know, that big, you know, what does it feel like to have all this stuff around you? And as you grow as well, you know, how are you going to take charge of that space that somebody else has designed for you? So um, I, I think I think I always think of design as um, a personal Inter really, really personal interaction, really personal dialogue in the first instance. Then you can grow it from there. But if you get that personal interaction right, then I think it stands you in good stead for being an agent for social change, which is what I think architects can be and what I would like to be. Um, and I think architects should be. But, you know, all too often it becomes... Because... Um, 
architecture was invented in the 17th century and it's still stuck in the 19th century. So people think of architects, architects' offices, a bit like you'd think of mill, um, 19th century mills, you know, with banks of people kind of doing this all day long, you know. Um, and actually, it should be a creative industry in the same way as other creative industries. There's absolutely no reason why you should have 100 people stuck in a room behind computers all day long, um, just being driven nuts by, you know, that much working space. The conditions in architect some architects' offices are really, really bad. Um, people are expected to work, you know, there's a sort of macho culture where if you can demonstrate that you've been up all night, you know, or you've worked till four o'clock in the morning, or, you know, your self-sacrifice, on one hand, is what they require of people who work there, and at the other end, the people who make all the money are kind of swashbuckling exactly. pirates, you know, and buccaneers, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, it's just so boring. Mm. And it just doesn't make for good architecture either. Mm. You know, and, and I think and, and I think there's another paradigm, if you like, which is to do with um, just working with working closely with people and coming up with new ideas and following those ideas to they might not work, but you know they'll take you somewhere different. But the problem with what I call the sort of the mill owner um, strategy, the mill owner paradigm, is that you get what you've always got which is a 19th century mentality which produces 19th century buildings. If you're lucky, you know, I mean, people talk about the modern movement and modern movement started at the end of the 19th century. And they're still calling it the modern yeah, movement. Yeah, how modern is it really? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> so, but I don't know how you change that because there's so much money in architecture as it is and people are so protective. You know, if I tell you that in London, according to Sadiq Khan's office, 1.7 billion is coming into London in in architecture. You know, so I mean, I ain't getting it. You ain't getting it. Somebody's somebody's getting it, and they don't want to give it up. Yeah. So so what it comes down to is really, you know, the 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 threat, the pushback. It's really from people who feel that as we were talking about before, that racism is really about envy and challenge and, you know, that, that, that kind of self feeling of self-preservation is what, what is preventing architecture from changing. Mm. And I was saying that I met these recruits, because I always wondered, you know, why do these officers look the way they look? And so I met these recruiters today who um, are from Bain backgrounds who said that they get told by architects, officers, you know, if somebody called Pretty um, has, you know, a, a South Asian name, an Indian name, and they say, oh, this is an interesting CV that you've brought us. Um, what's this woman like? And, oh, she's very good. She's a great architect, you know. And they go, no, what's she really like? And if they manage to get through that hoop, then there's the pub test where they will take people down the pub and they'll say, oh, well, she's not really one of us, you know, she took her... Yeah. We took, yeah. She went down the pub with us, and we don't, we don't think oh she'll, we don't think she'll fit in, you know. 
Um, journalism too, spoiler alert. <laughs> I feel like that happens in just a predominant... Yeah. Like, but does that happen in journalism? 100%. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, right, like okay. Play out my whole industry. You <laughs> still hire me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some, it's, it's that kind of thing that I think is genuinely ingrained in a lot of these industries. That, yeah. Um, you won't even notice that a lot of these things are like a um, sorting test. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, yes. To preserve... The status quo. Yeah, yeah, And something as simple as like, let's all go down the path. Yes. Yeah. Speak very much before. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. If you think about it, it's kind of like a sorting, you know, like yeah. even at my work, and I'm a freelancer. I don't go to the pub as like often as everybody else does, and then hmm. you get labelled as antisocial. And it's like, you know, maybe this yeah. is not the place I want to yeah. like, fraternise in or yeah. be yeah. necessarily yeah. be around. I mean. Yeah. You know, it, it, and then imagine for me, I'm somebody who does drink. So imagine for somebody who doesn't drink. Yeah. You know, yeah. how much that alienates yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, it's just yeah. 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 So, so, so I, I've been trying to think, what, what is that piece of the jigsaw? Because you know there's something going on. You know there's a filtering process mm-hmm. because you know that there are lots of fame and female people studying architecture. And then when you go into the offices, you can't see them. Yeah. So something's happened yeah. along the way. Yes. And you, you can see by the figures that they're dropping off at um, part one, which is degree stage, part two, which is um, MA master's stage, and part three, which is um, after that. But then what happens? And what happens is that the final sorting process is through recruitment yeah, yeah. and saying, actually, you know, they don't fit in, they're not the kind of people that we feel we can you know, hand on heart, genuinely. You know, we did went to the pub and the wine bar and, Mm, you know, you know, yeah. and it's all very angsty. But you know, the the upshot of it is that you don't get the job. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Do you feel like uh, you, we were speaking briefly about black femme art? Do you feel like there are schemes or initiatives that are trying to make sure that the the, the attrition rate is isn't as vast as it is now for BAME and female? Uh, young architects or do you think it's, it's just it's barely started and um well as i say i think it's gone backwards and oh where's where's our where's, oh, where's, she, where's she's just taking a call oh oh is she oh okay. right um we have a founder member of black Fountain arc um and my conclusion now is that um we're very lucky at the moment to have four mayors in the urban centers who have between them have huge procurement power um, and they're spending billions and billions and billions. They need, badly need social housing, badly need instru- infrastructure, badly need schools. So my argument would be that if you have um, the, the, the people who are doing the designing should reflect the, the communities Community, they're yeah, designing for. Exactly, yeah. And if in London you're looking at 40% BAME architects, 52% women, then that, that's, that's what the team should look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they don't look like that, you know, there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not, you know, we've had enough research and you, you have the evidence of your eyes, so you just say, fix it. You know, come up with some solutions and fix it because it's not good enough. Um, and so, um, so that's what I'm working towards. Mm-hmm. And I'm just encouraging everybody everybody that I come across to say be like other creatives you know start your own business and what we will do the old folk (laughs) um, us at the other end of their careers is that we would just try and make sure you have the cash flow to 
you know, be as creative as you can be. Um, because otherwise what will happen is that another 25 years will go by and we will look back and we've lost a whole generation of talent, you know, and that is a loss not just to those people but to society as a whole. Yeah. Do you have any particular words of encouragement, for, like, like, like you said, for the architects who have maybe passed part one and they're moving on to part two, part three, part four, of how to keep going as a black woman architect? Start your own business. That's, <laughs> that, you know, just... You know, you don't need to be an architect to be able to, to make models, to design um, CGI's, to do graphics, to, to, to provide a service. Because, you know, if you're paying 9250 a year, you know, don't go and get a low paid job somewhere. You know, start your own business and provide services that you can use your talent. Because, you know, some, some people I know are going out and stacking shelves to make ends meet. But... As an architect, as a designer, you are better to take a risk and, you know, get onto the company's house website, pay your 15 quid, um, start your company and get yourself some business cards which say whatever studio and that you're a director of it and, set, you know, market your skills because you'll find that when you qualify as an architect, you'll have those technical skills, but what you won't have are marketing and financial skills. You know, they don't teach you that. And you need to learn how to, to market your skills and how to make a good living, which you can do. Um, but what I've learned is that they aren't going to employ, you know, these talented young BAME people, young students aren't being employed. So we have to make a generation of practices mm -hmm. that are going to employ people. Yeah. Yeah. And the sooner you start learning how to manage a business, mm -hmm and how to employ people if that's what you want to do, um, the better it is. Because lots of people who become architects are second and third generation. Yeah. So you know, they've got their parents' footsteps yeah. to follow in where we haven't. And so the sooner you, because they've been trained subliminally since they were sort of eight and a half, mm -hmm. you know, to say this is how you run a practice. Um, and I think we need somehow to create that situation for yeah. students mm -hmm. so that they can be nurtured mm -hmm. in in that culture mm -hmm. which gives you the confidence mm -hmm. you know to say that's what I want to do and you know you don't need to employ 500 people you can employ 50 but what I think is that with the housing crisis the way it is and having to deliver 65,000 houses in London you're not going to do it with the structure with the structures that you've got at the moment because if you could do it it would have been done mm. so something else needs to be done and the 50 percent of um, architects work in as sole practitioners but that won't get you the work making 20 you know 10 15 20 houses that will get you making one house which is fine but um, I think what's important is that those middle businesses which employ 20 or 30 people is kind of what we need to make the difference, yeah. both in terms of delivery of housing and also providing people with jobs um, and, and, good and a good living. So I think that's, that's what I would like to see being done by the profession. It's very far from doing that, yeah. but that's what, it, that's what it needs to do. I think that's something that could be applied to a lot of other, in terms of the advice of starting your own thing, not waiting for yeah. a lot of these 
industries that are rooted in tradition yeah and yeah as well, waiting for them to kind to, of yeah. to to move to yeah. get the ball rolling starting your own thing and i feel like that's some, something that i'm seeing in a lot of different professions yeah doing. yeah yeah uh, even like freelancing in general I, it's for me i don't know about other lots of other industries but for me i see predominantly women being freelancers yeah. um which is interesting itself. But yeah. yeah, I think that's really great advice. Yeah, so so the watchword I think, which is something that's just sort of popped into my head just recently, is emancipation. Mm. You know, we get a lot of mentoring and um, sort of paternalistic um, support, but actually the word that comes from slavery and colonialism and so on is emancipation, which is a process of freeing yourself. Um, and growing yourself up out of the bonds that you've been brought up with um, and that is I think you know that 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 is that's proper liberation you know and um, and it's quite scary but I don't think you know if you're going to be as creative as you can be that you have to emanci- you have to be emancipated to do that I'd also like to free myself from the invoices, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little bit... <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. Well, yeah. well look, let, let, me, let me show you... Let me show you this app that has just appeared on my, on my iPhone. And it is the most annoying thing, but it does... And it just keeps telling you, you owe me 650 quid. Really? Yeah, it's what horrible. What's this? Oh, <laughs> I'm going to exclusive. And you wake up in the morning and it says, hi, Elsie, you still owe me 650 quid. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, they, oh, say, yeah, say, okay. and then you just learn to swipe left. <laughs> <laughs> But you get there, that's the, that's the point. Yeah. There's like unread emails. It's like, oh, well, yeah. as per my last email, never yeah. that. Yeah. It's like, just following up. Yeah, yeah. Like, notification. Yeah. I know you've got that. And it's got that horrible kind of friendly, hello. Yeah. <laughs> it's personalised. Look, there's my name. It's me. That's right. Yeah. So, so the, the, you know, technology is the future. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just uh, the thing I, I think about um, architecture that's really interesting to me and also for like, young BAME people is that I feel that often BAME family structures cannot understand maybe art or design as a lucrative career they don't understand it's, it seems very wafty or very hippie right <laughs> and then I think to hear about architecture where it's like you can not only see because I, I feel that quite a lot of BAME creatives when it comes to design can sometimes limit themselves to only what you can like what, what's small and what you can feel and touch you know it's, it's textile or it's graphic or maybe it might be CGI but in terms of going for projects as big as structures and buildings and ha- a living space and an, an area they don't see that but to hear about you know 1.7 billion <laughs> that's a lot yeah, that's a know, lot of potatoes uh, go to architecture school yeah. please um, apply and then I think it's a great that's a it's lot a of great, potatoes yeah. <laughs> whole lot of potatoes you want fries yeah. um, I think it's so encouraging to hear about using your skills that you're learning in, in practice as an intermediary to build those practices where people it reflects the areas that you are yeah, actually changing mm. rather than it being a case of, well, I have to go to only the big firms or the big three or the big mm, five mm, to mm, actually mm, make an impact. So, and mm. it, I think, Elsie, from you, what, what I'm hearing more so is about self-definition of what change should look like change should look like rather than how I can change to fit the structures that already exist. Mm, and I think mm, that's really encouraging because mm, especially with 
all of your accomplishments and and the, and the buildings that you've been involved in and programs in doing because it's I think often young people can also feel like they're in a vacuum and they're not being heard but to hear an older and experienced architect being there and championing for young people to actually take the reins and define what success is rather than just the old old school way of what we know it to yeah. be 19th century yeah. it's really encouraging so I want all my little design yeah. all my, <laughs> my babe design people to listen okay it's I'd, also really encouraging to hear like having grown up in Ghana and been like well I didn't even know that I couldn't be but I didn't even yeah. know that this this was this whole mentality of black people can't do a certain thing because they're black even existed because mm-hmm. I was living my life having a great time in Ghana and then I came here <laughs> like and I just I, I genuinely forget that that is the reality for so many people. I think that when you are yeah. a black Brit, particularly if you're like a, like my, one of my parents was born in Jamaica, so if you're like second generation or whatever, mm. you get so bogged down by mm. that mm. mentality mm. of, oh God, I can't do this because there's not enough of me in that place. Or like they yeah. tell me that I can't yeah, do that yeah. stuff. And it's yeah. really, really nice that to That becomes a worldview. It, it becomes yeah. your worldview and yeah. that's what you think everything, no, everywhere no. is yeah, like. Yeah, and that's yeah. going to be my experience everywhere yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah. It's not the case at all. No, no, it's not. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really encouraging to hear you saying that Basically, I am encouraged. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. Encouraged. That's okay. right. I'm going to every building and be like, who built this? Yeah. <laughs> what did Elsie? <laughs> 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 just, start, just start shouting Elsie at security. Elsie, yeah. <laughs> get Elsie up in here. She'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to. But I tell you, I, I'm sure you want to come to an end with this. But um, I tell you what, really, um, I have at the front of my mind is um, that we're working on projects in Ghana mm. at the moment with three, three to five year olds, and teaching three to five year olds architecture, how to make apps about climate change, mm. um, measuring measuring rainfall. You know, just being in charge of your environment. And those children are, so Ghana is 13th in the list of the people who um, end up in places like Libya and end up drowning, drowning in the Mediterranean. So those children are the children who potentially will get together a little group of them and walk across the Sahara to get to Libya and in an attempt to get to the UK or somewhere else. Um, and what I'm really, really keen on, what I'm really determined about, is making th- the village that we're working in so congenial that they're going to think, actually, yeah, yeah. I don't need to go. I don't need to go chasing the Facebook culture because I know that I can bring the Facebook culture here. You know, and 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 those. And if you think about how many people are drowning, you know, just just the people who are actually dying. Never mind the people who are in camps, who are in refugee camps, who don't make... And these, and you know, we, I'd say we, are coming from countries that are so wealthy, are endowed with all the natural resources and the human resources mm-hmm. that you could possibly wish for. And yet, those young people are still dying by the hundreds and thousands. You know, and us as architects, we can do something about that. We yeah. can we can change the lives yeah. in those villages. We don't even need to go there because you know I can get a drawing on WhatsApp to that village in Ghana faster than I can by any other means. Mm-hmm. You know, so that connect connectivity through technology mm-hmm. um, and the World Wide Web. I mean, is just has the potential for revolutionising mm-hmm. the lives of so many. Yeah millions of people and we here you know this little group of us in London with 
our training and that education that's so hard won mm. can be the agents for that change. Yeah. You know, so it's um I just want to encourage them. I'm not even an architect. I'm not an architect <laughs> either. And like, I, I'm not going to ever get that 1.7 billion buck. <laughs> I feel, yeah, I think that's actually a really good place to end. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for speaking yeah. with us. I have learned so much about myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Institutions don't have memories. They don't yeah. have history. Like, so I'm like, okay, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, no, it's been very enlightening. Um, and to learn everything about what you do, to learn more about gender equity, this is something yeah. that I didn't know very much about at all. Yeah. Um, so it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed speaking with us. Well, it was fantastic. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, I've learned something too about myself. <laughs> <laughs> before we close I also think that you being a mother and a woman is also evident in your approach to um, architecture because I think one, one thing that's key is that you, you're always thinking about consideration like the fact that you said you start a project with an individual and then you look at how people move through that space rather than it just being seen as like a project or the next pip you know on my CV or my scroll and so on it's like no these are for re real people these are for people that matter and how can I change revolutionise or better that, that, or that experience already and that inspires me I'm like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> We've got to revolutionise everything. Everything is to change. Rewrite it all. But yeah, thank I'll you so much. Yes. <laughs> well, well, I tried that one. No. <laughs> I'm but still rooting for you. I was, I was a runner up. <laughs> soon come, soon come. Second, second, it will always be better. But that's the World Actually Live podcast. Yes. Yay, it's our first one. Hopefully, many more. Um, yeah. We want to talk about where you can find us, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So quiz. You ready? Yeah. Do you remember? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you can find us on um, iTunes podcast at Well Blackchilly. It's Well and then B L actually. Yeah. You can find us on SoundCloud at Well Dash Blackchilly. Yes. You can find us on Twitter at Well Blackchilly, all one word. Yes. And I think coming to Spotify soon. Coming to Spotify soon. If you want to follow us on our individual channels, you can follow me Gina, <laughs> on Twitter at SmileGina, which is G-E-N-A. Also that on Instagram. Uh, I also have a list of Instagram, which is... There we go. Poutgina. Poutgina. And yeah, Na Natalie, are you, are you giving away your... So it, it varies every episode gonna... on how I feel. So if you want to find me on the Instas of Gram or the Grams of Insta, it's underscore Nata who, because who am I? I'm mysterious, no, not really. And then on Twitter, it's Natta What, because what am I really saying? <laughs> because what am I really saying? Oh, really um, yeah, and that's it. Thank you so much, Elsie. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. And Elsie. And 3.09 and London Design Festival. Thank you so much. Shout and out to you guys. Yeah. And until next time, my friends. Well, put something. Well, well, wait, I, forgot, <laughs> I forgot, sorry. Is it recorded? Our emails at worldblackchilly.gmail.com. All you BAME design folks, yeah, please email us. We want to hear your stories. Yeah. I'd love to like revisit this topic again. So yeah, and um, you know, you can see how black men are or how different initiatives can help you consider you. But yeah. Okay, love you. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> Thank you so much.